0: Quick quiz, and you don't have to answer the details here, but the quick quiz is this. Who was here last week, and you remember me saying something about expressive individualism? It was awesome. Okay, cool, awesome, wow, that's great. Um, If you don't, you can go listen to the podcast, okay? Um, But uh, expressive individualism, I wanna hit on that again. I think it spoke directly to what we talked about last week, but I think it speaks really clearly to what we're talking about this week. Um, So I wanted to hit this again. Expressive individualism is this idea that I think is the main value, the main philosophy that, that drives our culture that we live in right now, I think is expressive individualism. And <clears throat> excuse me, expressive individualism is the idea that the whole purpose of life is to find your deepest self and then to express that to the world no matter what your family or personal culture or religion or any other authorities may say to you. That is the number one driving philosophy undergirding our modern culture right now. The most important thing you can do is find out who you are and express that no matter what culture, family, or anybody else says to you about that. Now, that means several things, and these three things come from a book called Disappearing Church by Mark Sayers. It's excellent. Um, And he says these three things that means that the highest good for our culture, the highest good, is a self-expression that involves individual freedom, happiness, and self-definition. Secondly, that means that traditions and religions received wisdom, any regulation, any social ties that restrict individual freedom or happiness or self-definition and self-expression must be reshaped, deconstructed, or destroyed. The third thing that means is that the primary social ethic is tolerance of everybody else's self-defined quests for individual freedom and self-expression. And any deviation from that ethic of tolerance is dangerous and must not be allowed. Now, I personally think those three sentences are basically the defining qualities of our culture right now. Everything revolves on around your pursuit of finding out who you really are. Nothing is allowed to infringe upon that. Nothing's allowed to, to keep that from happening. And quite frankly, anyone that believes anything other than that that the the most important thing is for you to find yourself and express yourself, anyone that believes something other than that really needs to be just done away with, violently if necessary. And we are seeing that in our culture now. Um, And so I think those are the things that are driving uh, who we are as a culture. And as much as we may sit in here and go, ooh, I don't like that, the farther down the age tree you go, the more that that has crept into their thinking, regardless of, of what you have tried to teach them or what you think they may believe, just talk to some teenagers and you'll see this come out of almost all of them uh, Because it is that prevalent in our culture right now It's just been sort of absorbed uh, into modern day living and life and the way we look at things um, And so in that, in that uh, culture and in that environment, in that context um, There's this idea of just this radical self-realization Here's what we have to do as a church Um, Not just as a church, but as the church as people that follow Jesus We have got to recapture living life together Radical self-expression means that I live life on my own and the only people I ever get around are the people that encourage me to go discover who I am Anybody else is out of bounds. I got to get rid of everybody else out of my life And in the church, we have got to recapture this idea that we are going to live our lives together I am not asking for us to go back and make the church great again, you know? I'm not asking for us to go back to 1950, or 1847, or 1732. I'm not asking us to go back to some, I'm not calling us back to some simpler time in American Americana. So don't think that I'm like, when calls the heart? Don't anybody think that's what I'm preaching this morning, okay? I'm not asking us to go back sometime in the past in some, you know, simpler time. I'm calling us to go back to this idea, to recapture this idea of living life together Because God has made us in his image and we're supposed to take that image to a broken fractured alone world Do you also understand that that our world is lonely? Our world knows their depth of how lonely they are and what's ironic about that is is that their the philosophy They hold on to pushes them apart from everybody else It's so odd They have this value of self-determination and self-expression and self-realization And the very values they hold on to push them away from other people But they're desperate for community which we'll talk about in just a second It's hard to get away from that To get away from that internal built-in thing that I need community I want you to think about God as we're created in God's image God is in community forever eternity past eternity future god's in community god lives with three people (laughs) right all the time god the father god the son god the holy spirit he is constantly in community and as we are his image bearers we are intended to be in community from from the beginning guys right he looks at adam and he says what this is bad he's living with all the animals and all creation and everything else but he's what alone and god says everything else is great but this is bad So he creates a woman to walk with him, and then God says, this is very good, as the man and the woman and God walk with each other in the cool of the garden of the day. We were created from the beginning to be in community, and as image bearers, we're supposed to take that idea of community, that core expression of God's uh, image, we're supposed to take that out into a world together with each other in community, in meaningful relationships. Maybe that word community has been overused, so Think about meaningful Christian relationships. We're supposed to take that idea of living in, uh, in a community with each other out into the world together as we express that part of God's image out to the world. So I, again, I said, you know, there's this value in our culture that says I'm going to become who I am. I'm going to find out who I am, and I'm going to express that. I don't really care how you feel about it. This is who I am. See me, all that kind of stuff. And they reject everybody that says that they can't live that way Yet, I would say even that person is built with the image of God. You understand that? Like, we don't get the image of God when we get saved. We're born with the image of God in us, perverted, twisted, and broken, right? It's being restored over the course of God, what God does in our lives. But they have the image of God in them, so they reject the idea of people speaking into who I am, but what do they do? They gravitate to people who look like them, <laughs> because we're built like that. We're made like that, Right? I, I heard something else this week And it's like every movie you ever watch about high school What happens to the kid in high school Who is the anarchist, the goth kid The black makeup and the spiky hair And the trabby clothes And What does he do? Hangs out with other kids with black hair, <laughs> spiky hair, makeup And drabby clothes He's the anarchist, he's the crazy kid Who doesn't want anything to do with culture But what does he do? Creates a community that he can live in That supports his values and ideals We are naturally driven toward community even though our, our voiced opinion and we, what we think is driving us in this world is I need to express myself and nobody can tell me otherwise, we then gravitate toward people who look just like us and who support our version of ourselves because we are pushed internally. We're all built with this idea that I need to be in community with somebody. So that means clown lovers hang out with clown lovers, right? Uh, anybody creeped out by clowns still? Okay, It, the movie, It movies probably really put us over the edge. Clown lovers, hang out with clown lovers. Cowboys fans, hang out with Cowboys fans. No, come on, really? Okay, thank you. I needed that today. Better than being a Miami fan, just want to say that. Pineapple pizza people just need to leave and put your offering in the foyer on the way out. (laughs) Don't even hang out with anybody. You need to go to rehab or something. The only person who's not driven to community, it might be introverts, but they're actually drawn together so they can sit in the same area but not make eye contact with each other. <laughs> right? Everybody's drawn to community. Everybody's drawn to be around people that reinforce their version of themselves. Even though you may think and you may say, nobody can tell me who I am, I'm gonna go self-discover that. We then naturally pull toward people who look like us, sound like us, walk like us, think like us because it is built in to us. There's a local, I think she's at U of H. Joe, you may help me out there. Brene Brown. I think she's at U of H here in town. Um, and she's written books. She's a psychologist and all that. She's a Christian. Um, she says this about humanity. <clears throat> she says, all humans have three, one of three reactions to the idea of community. You either move toward it, you move uh, away from it, or you move against it. Those are your only options. You're going to intentionally, purposefully, move toward being a community, you'll pull away from it and isolate yourself or you will actively fight against it. But we all have some reaction to community because it's built, even the secular psychologists would say that we're built, it's built into us to go find people to live life with. We have got to push ourselves talk ourselves into whatever it takes we've got to convince ourselves that we have to live in community with other people the church must move toward community not away from it and we can't fight against it and i would then say this that I think the church has built systems over the last 120 years that have argued against community we filled up your calendar and we gave you a lot of stuff to do on sundays but we didn't push you into community And I'm really glad that the church over the last 25, 30 years has begun to shift away from that. At least the church in the West has. Kind of figured a little bit of that out. We have to recapture it, right? From God's design of us, His earliest design of us and the church all revolve around this idea of community. So 1 Corinthians, um, you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians 1, just as he starts the the whole book that he's about to write, he says, uh, Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, And Sosthenes, our brother, so he and his buddy are writing this letter. He says, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who in every place call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord and ours, grace to you, peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. This letter is not addressed to an individual Christian. This letter is not addressed To a tiny group of people At the very least This this letter is addressed At the earliest place right here In the beginning of the book To the entire church in Corinth Corinth was in a tiny town It was a large city There would have been multiple churches in Corinth And Paul's like I'm writing to all of you Who call yourselves followers of Jesus Christ We're all part of the same community Same family We call ourselves by the same name and he's addressing all of them. So I want you to just throw yourself back into the first century. And some of you, I know some of your stories, some of you, this is kind of your story actually, but you, you go back into the first century and how does the church begin? Like when you think of the very beginning of the church, where does it start, right? It starts with this very small subset of Jewish people, primarily, almost exclusively, Jewish people Who uh, are struggling and they're stragglers And they're the edges of culture in a lot of ways And they gather around this Palestinian prophet Who they say is the savior and the answer to all of their problems So a small subset of Judaism These Jewish practitioners break out And they begin to gather around the idea This Palestinian prophet, obscure, tiny little town and all that This guy in a forgotten country We're following Him. He is our Savior, and He has the answer to everything in life. That's how the church starts. They band together immediately. You see this immediately in the book of Acts, 80 days after Jesus ascends into heaven, 80 days. You see them beginning to immediately band together to encourage each other in their newfound faith and the mission that they've been given to meet each other's needs. That happens immediately. The church begins sort of as this like counterculture in every way, swimming upstream against what their culture tells them they're supposed to be. It begins as this counterculture and they come together with like-minded people who radically commit to each other. Radically, radically they commit to one another. They're selling their stuff and making sure that everybody's taken care of. They have all things in common with one another. So they've radically committed to one another And it's all based on Jesus Christ They are not coming together Because they like each other's haircuts They're not coming together Because they enjoy the way people dress on Sundays They are joining together Because they have agreed Jesus is the answer to everything Christ is the answer for all of our problems And all of our issues And he is the savior of our souls He's the only hope we have to get to heaven That's what's driving them together that's what's pushing them to have all their things in common. And they're an example, I think even early on, of a new community to the world. One of the, the complaints, the concerns that we read about or we see in secular letters that were written by governing authorities to other governing authorities. So let's say the governor in, uh, in uh, Galatia writes a letter to the emperor in Rome and he says, hey, I have these Christian people these little Christs is what he called them. I have these little Christs who are following this Palestinian guy that we killed and they're weird, man. They gather together and they sell their stuff and they eat meals with one each other and they talk about being resurrected from the dead and they're just weird. That's one of the first complaints that we see in secular, scripture, secular writings about Christians. We're weird because we gather together. <laughs> We're weird because we sell our stuff and we support one another. That made us strange at the very beginning. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? One of the first marks of who we were and who we are as Christians was that. They banded together like that. And they've been given a mission. They gathered around that mission. They understood early on, even maybe not the fullness of it, but they understood that God and Jesus had literally given them a mission just before he goes back into heaven. And just like them, just like them, man, we are as, as christian especially now i think as, as christianity's impact begins to fade we don't live in a primarily christian culture anymore and as christianity's impact begins to fade i think we really sound and should feel a lot like that first church and our mission is to go out and give people hope and to live the the hope and the life that we've found in jesus christ we're supposed to teach them his ways and so what begins to happen there just like the goth kid in high school, man, we naturally begin to find kids and people and adults who are following Jesus Christ, who are on the same mission that we're on. Now, we should be doing that. Maybe that's what I ought to say. We ought to be doing that. By our creation, by calling, by our new calling, by our new nature, we should be gathering with other people, finding people who are on mission with us. And what you don't, what I guess maybe we don't understand When we reject that kind of community When we won't go for that kind of close Real intimate relationships With other believers When we reject that When we reject the people in here As our family and our friends We are fighting against almost everything It means to be a Christ follower Almost everything that it means Historically to follow Jesus When you reject this group of people You're rejecting what it means to be a Christian And we need to recapture that idea We've so individualized our walk with Jesus that we have lost. This matters. These people matter. And I've been called to walk life with these people, in community with these people. So if we're going to be like that early band of Christians, which I think was Jesus' intent, he set it up that way. If we're going to be weird, like they were, to the world and all that, and really even passive other Christians— We have to not be afraid of actually needing brothers and sisters in our lives who will come alongside of us to help us and to stay on mission with us and to accomplish the mission that God's given us. We have to not be afraid of that. I can't tell you how many times I have fielded phone calls or gone to people's homes and life happens. Can we just say that life, life happens, right? you make stupid choices, your children make ridiculous choices, circumstances happen to you that are out of your control, and I go there, and I answer phone calls, and they're so embarrassed, and they don't want anybody to know, and I'm like, that's the worst thing you can do right now. It is the absolute worst thing you can do. We have got to stop being afraid to let people into our stuff. We have got to quit being afraid to let people see behind the curtain of our little plastic Christian lives. Amen? And let people see what's happening behind the veil. That is the only way that we have the kind of community that is life-giving. And we need this kind of life that we're talking about right now, that the early church had, to stay on mission, to stay on mission. What is our mission? Some of you as parents, I remember like our kids were little, it's like get through the day, <laughs> right? Just survive today, <laughs> right? That's not your mission. Your mission is to be an emissary and ambassador of Jesus Christ wherever you're at. Whatever context you find yourself in You are taking the message of Jesus with you And you are his ambassador Whether that's with your children Or sitting in a boardroom That's what we're supposed to be out doing Taking that message of Jesus with us And without people around us to remind us of that We're going to forget because life happens We'll forget what our mission is So we need our brothers and sisters To come alongside of us We need one another to encourage us To remember to stay on that mission And sometimes that means that we suffer with each other Whenever it's necessary that we get called, actually, I would say it this way. We get welcomed into each other's suffering. And some of us have this, this uh, I think, backwards understanding of walking with people. And we think that when I walk with people, I get to go to their kids' birthday parties and their graduations, and when babies are born, I get to be a godparent and all that stuff. Yes, but you also get the call when everything falls apart, and that's an honor to walk with people during that time. They're welcoming you into your, their suffering, what a privilege. Amen? Do you understand that? And some of us have it all backwards. We think the benefits of walking with people in community is I get to do the fun stuff. Walking with community and community with people is I get to walk through life with you. And you've welcomed me into your life. So there's a, a time we need this, right? We got to remember that just like the early church to draw ourselves into that. So as we're drawn into community, as, as I think naturally we're drawn that way, and then Christ has designed his church that way, so we're put into community, and as that happens to us, it is, we gotta remember that it's human nature to, to simplify things and to categorize things. Life is busy and complicated, and so one of the ways that we compensate for that is we simplify things and we categorize things. It's just easier to deal with everything we've gotta deal with in life. So unfortunately, that means that we tend to do that in our community, idea of community also. That begins to creep in there. To make our lives more manageable, diversity and community get pushed away because we want to gravitate towards people that are like us because that's easier. That's the easiest thing for us to do because we simplify life. We don't complicate, not intentionally, we don't try to complicate life. We want to simplify life. And we categorize things, so we tend to push people out. So now, What we need to begin to ask ourselves with diversity in our community We need to ask ourselves is that biblical? That's the only question left for you to ask at this point When I get drawn into community Am I supposed to be around everybody that looks like me? And am I supposed to be around people that make me comfortable? Is that the best biblical way for us to do community with each other? It's natural, but is it biblical? That's the question for us to ask at this point I want you to think about Jesus' disciples So again, never forget this, right? Yes, Jesus came to die on a cross Absolutely, to take away our sins, absolutely But you know, he was also instigating a new movement And a new group of people, right? He would take his mission and take it because he was leaving So he needed this group of people to come take what he was doing And continue it So I think that he puts his disciples together on purpose You know, he didn't have like a mass altar call And say, whosoever will may come And twelve guys showed up, you know he went to each one And he invited them in Right Asked them to come follow him To be his disciples I want you to think about These people that he, he asked We've talked You know They're knuckleheads And we've talked about all that But just Just a little background on them Five of them Were fishermen One of them was Probably related to royalty Maybe like a third cousin Twice removed But he had some kind of Royal blood in him So there was some kind of Royalty there Two of them were Violent nationalists They were like the crazy guys in the group, you know? Um, Two violent nationalists. One of them was a tax man. Nobody liked him, I'm sure. Tax man. One of them was an agnostic. One of them was a betrayer and a thief. That's who Jesus chose to be his guys for three and a half years, and then to take the gospel and continue his mission when he left. They did not look alike. (laughs) Can you imagine those fireside chats? You know, when they were sitting around with each other And what came up in those conversations How completely, you know, diverse Those opinions would have been Sitting around that place All Jewish, by the way, which is also interesting But radically different from one another In every other way With intentionality Jesus gathers these people He assembles these people He pours his life into them he dies for them. He gives them his spirit, his mission. He pours his future into these diverse people. Some of us, man, we, fi- we shop for churches and small groups with this idea that we're like, wow, I'm gonna find this small group. We're like, we are all alike. We all have small children. We all shop at Target. We all drive minivans, Right? We all eat paleo together, or whatever paleo is. We don't eat some things together. I don't know. I obviously don't do that. I'm out of your small group already. (laughs) Some of us are like, gosh, we are all so amazingly similar. We should hang out together. At what point did the church get built like that? Man, we've just turned our small group opportunities into another shopping experience, another way to consume something for it to meet our needs instead of challenging us with diversity and difference. I want you to think about not just the disciples but the nations at Pentecost. You need to go to just another chapter, a couple of chapters in Acts, just the second one. Look at the nations that were there. These are the people that God chooses to pour his spirit out on. You couldn't get a more diverse group of people (laughs) than the people that were at Pentecost. And God pours his spirit on these people and says, you go and continue my ministry my mission in the world God has been about Building a community of people Who don't look like each other From the beginning And yet somehow We've reversed it Into our highest value Is who looks like me And I want to hang out with them Right? Henri Nguyen I strongly encourage you To get in touch with Henri Henry Nguyen For us uh, uh, westerners Henri Nguyen He's French I, that's, my, that's the extent of my French By the way I guess I have déjà vu I have those two Déjà vu Henry Nouam Henry Nguyen okay for us westerners he defines community as the place where the person you least want to live with always lives often we surround ourselves with people we most want to live with which forms a club or a clique not a community anyone can form a club it takes grace shared vision and hard work to form a community is everybody hearing this? We want community here, amen? I want community here. I want diversity. I want crazy thoughts. I want crazy ideas of what it means to follow Jesus. I want us to look different from each other and then to agree to walk with each other because we're on the same mission with one another. Amen? That's That's the church that God built. That's the church that he started with. Somehow or another in the West, we've made it into this thing where it's this place for me to get what I need and I want, that I think I need and I want, to encourage me to look like I look like right now. And we need some a shared vision In our community And in our community groups About what it means to follow Jesus That doesn't look like me Where we intentionally Intentionally gather along it's alongside one another To walk with each other So we go to, to a Christian community We run to Christian community To meet with other Christ followers To seek God together To be reminded of the radical call to love and, and to encourage To remember that love does things And it's a radical call that we're called to man really, really different. Again, Jesus talks about this, and you're like, Sanders, you're being really hard about this. Didn't Jesus talk about this? He's like, some of you love people that look just like you. Don't the pagans do the same thing? I didn't say that. That's Jesus, so you can get mad at him. See? We've turned Christian love into something that just looks like us. And Christian community is like, who is different from me? Let's go hang out with them and get to know them and hear their opinion about stuff. And Invite them into our worlds, right? Not just be with them, but invite them in and live life with them because we're on the same mission with each other, taking Jesus out into the world. Self begins to creep in. It's so hard. This is difficult, I think. And a lot of us were like, okay, this is really hard. I like church until now. Um, I really want to come and I want to sing some songs that I like and then I want to leave. And I want to thank Pastor Jimmy for singing songs that I like and Pastor Joe for not stepping on my toes too hard. What a selfish view of the church if all I want is for it to satisfy my needs and my desires without having to invest in other people. Can I say that again? What a (laughs) selfish view of the church if all I want is for it to satisfy my needs and my desires without having to invest in other people. Some of you should be cold sweating right now. Can I just say that too? This is your version of church. Church meets my needs. It gives me X, Y, Z, and that's why I go there. Where else, where else in the world, maybe outside of a movie theater, in the dark, don't talk to anybody, where else will we meet with the old and the young and the rich and the poor and the beautiful and the ugly and Democrats and Republicans and athletic and not athletic and blight and black and white and purple and plaid? Where else is that supposed to happen? So often we want a church that comforts the comfortable, I'm already comfortable. Make me more comfortable. Applaud me. Encourage me to just do who I am and what I'm doing right now. And I don't think that's ever been the intention of community in the church. What it was for, how it was supposed to be formed, how we're supposed to be doing this. So we're in this together with all the other weirdos in the room. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? And you need to look at the guy beside you and go, he's talking about you. Weirdo, right? (laughs) So we are in this together with all of the other weirdos Maybe that's too offensive and you're like i'm not weird pastor. Okay unique. We're unique. Okay All the other unique people in the room But for what purpose so we're doing this together, but for what purpose to what end? first corinthians chapter 12 I think answers some of this look at verse 24 Really could read the whole chapter, but we'll just do verse 24 says whereas our more presentable members have no need of a particular part of the body but God has so composed the body giving more abundant honor to that member which lacks so that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another and if one member suffers all the members suffer with it can we underline that or highlight it or something and if one member is uh, honored all the members rejoice with it underline it highlight it together 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 all of us together. Jump down to verse 29. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All don't speak with tongues, do they? All don't interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and then I will show you a more excellent way, which we'll talk about in just a second. What are the purposes of the church? We're going to gather together in community, but to what end? Is it just to hang around and sing choruses and eat some, you know, pie or something? Like, what are we supposed to be doing with each other? I think it's laid out pretty clearly as we look through the book of of Corinthians in particular. But there are purposes that God's given the church. I'm going to list them and then go back. Member care. We're supposed to care for each other, right? Right? That was in the text specifically. Loving relationships, sanctification, becoming more like God, use of gifts, giving the gospel and demonstrating God's glory. I'm going to break these down. Member care. We're supposed to care for each other. I think this is done best and most effectively in small groups. I can stand here and tell you we're going to love people and help people. I want to point this out again. In your worship guide, there is a a, uh, website where you can go and sign up to help with meals for a family a young family who the mom just passed away from cancer. They're part of our church. And we have an opportunity to provide meals for them throughout the rest of the year. We need you to go in there and sign up, so, okay? So in your worship guide, there's a, a web address for that. Please go do it. Now, that's easy for me to do and to stand up here and tell you that when I recognize about 10% of you are gonna do it. You know who's all in? The people who are in community with them. They love them. They can't wait to minister to them. They're taking food to them. So I wanna tell you guys, Member care is most easily best done in a small group In a community group in life groups. That's what we call them here. They best happen in those small group settings Things like this. I can see your child This kind of stuff is what i'm talking about I can see your kid whether they're an adult or a little one And I can see him just acting the fool But it's probably not prudent or effective for me to correct them because I don't have a relationship with you I can see your jealousy. I can see her anger. I can see his depression. The best places for those things to be encouraged and corrected and to walk alongside with somebody through those difficult places is in relational small groups at church. It would be such a foreign idea to most, actually most of the church in the whole world now, but it would be a foreign idea to think one of two things. I can be in a small group with people I don't go to church with, On Sunday, I'm not going to worship you on Sunday, but I'm going to hang out with you during the week. Or reverse it. I'm going to go to church with you on Sunday, but not hang out with you during the week. That is a foreign concept to the way church has been done for millennia, millennia, thousands of years. It has become the norm in America. And we've got to undo that. Member care happens best in our small groups with other tightly woven relational people that we're with on Sundays. I would also say this, that the larger our church gets, it's only as strong as its small groups are. If our small groups, if our community groups, our life groups don't work well, our church will not work well. People will fall between the cracks, ministry care won't happen, member care won't happen, and it'll, it literally will fall apart. It becomes the, sh- the Sunday morning show, and we might as well get pyrotechnics and smoke machines and just do that. Does that make sense? If we're not gonna do member care, let's just make it about this and just change what we do. So it all is about member care. Secondly, loving relationships. We don't want to just take care of people's physical needs. That's awesome. We want to love each other really well. Loving relationships. We want to have a healthy mix of talk in in our small groups, and our life groups, and in relationships about sports and the weather and the crazy rain last week and all that kind of stuff. But listen, it's best when we have those conversations around God's Word. We're finding some way to intentionally take God's truth And apply it to our lives, real everyday lives We want to share our relationships with each other Our lives with one another And truly, truly love one another So loving relationships, sanctification I would really like to do a whole thing about this I don't have time Our small groups have to be safe places To share our character flaws With the hope that we're going to develop them We're going to change them It's not just a place to come in and go, man, I'm broken and I made bad choices and I did these horrible things. I'm sharing those things with the hope that I will stop doing them and you guys are gonna walk with me so that I become more like Jesus. Our small groups are the best place for that kind of character development to happen, for us to intentionally walk with people to look like Christ. One particular author said this, and I do need to tell you, his name is Bruce Milne. He said the ideal that we have in the West now of the omnicompetent Christian individual. That's a great word. Omnicompetent Christian individual. I am a solo Christian. I don't need any help. Matter of fact, that's what makes me holy. I am more holy and more mature because I don't need anybody in my life. So this idea of the omnicompetent Christian individual who is able to meet every spiritual challenge and live a life of unbroken victory over sin and the devil has perhaps produced some remarkable examples of Christian character, but As every Christian counselor knows, that kind of emphasis has driven away many Christians to a lonely struggle, ending in despair and disillusionment, or worse, in hypocrisy and a double standard life. If I push you into this place, if our church pushes people into this place, and we make you think that you are a better Christian when you live life by yourself and you don't need help, all we're doing is setting you up to live a plastic life a version we see on Sundays and the broken version you live every other day of the week. What a disservice. What a horrible, horrible disservice we do to each other when we make you think that's what church is about. The whole approach needs a reexamination. He says the bulk of New Testament teaching on the Christian life, including the major sections on holiness, occurs in letters addressed to corporate groups to churches. We are supposed to be in this together with community seeking holiness. Holiness in our lives So sanctification the use of the gifts we see that Specifically here what is Your gift Okay gifts what are your gifts Your spiritual gifts what are They do you even know And then i'm going to ask you how are you Using them how are you Using your spiritual gifts where are you Using them the most practical place is In a small group setting in our church Each of us is Building god's kingdom When we learn to use our gifts and we give our gifts to each other, do you not understand that that is the purpose of your gifts? The purpose of your gifts is not to make you feel closer to God. The purpose of your gifts is for the building up and the edification of the church. We have to have these small groups where we are consistently giving our gifts away. So I really want to challenge. Maybe I want to start a little younger, but I've got some high school kids and my college kids, and you're just still kind of floating through life a little bit. You're part of our church. What's your gift? can you not find your gift please our church needs you our church needs you guys in the back we need to find out what your gift is you need that you need to develop that gift and sharpen that gift and find out what that gift is your church needs you let's all find out what our giftedness is and find a way to use it in our small group settings whether that's refuge or sanctus or in the larger uh, context of the church we're supposed to give the gospel away it's probably the most basic and universal, universally agreed upon purpose of the church. We're supposed to be doing this so that we give the gospel away. That's the whole point. To build one another up so that we can take the mission of Jesus into the world. To tell people about Him and the hope that we have in Him. And the last thing, for His glory. For the glory of God. When we praise Him, when we praise God, and we love each other in diversity and in our differences, we show the world the glory of God is we serve each other well we love each other well while we celebrate what makes us unique and different right the healthiest church is not the church that goes we all agree on everything together (laughs) the healthiest church is we have a lot of differing opinions and we love Jesus together does that make sense guys I'm not saying we're going to compromise doctrine I'm saying that we're going to live in the diversity of the kingdom of God as he has intended it to be lived and we have to recapture that idea of community, the diversity that God has made us with. And that shows a diverse world, the glory of God, and a real community, a real true Christian community. First Corinthians chapter 13, he says, I will show you a more excellent way. Verse 1, very well known. If you've been to a wedding, you've heard these, right? If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I have become a noisy gong, Or a clanging symbol If I have the gift of prophecy And I know all the mysteries And all knowledge And I have all faith So as to remove mountains But I don't have love I am nothing And if I give all my possessions To feed the poor And if I surrender my body To be burned But I don't have love It profits me nothing Here's what I want to say About this I really kick back When people want to do this In weddings Because it has nothing To do with weddings Zero Nothing It's sweet When they want to use it And that's fine But it doesn't have anything To do with weddings Matter of fact I think it's much more monumentally important than, than stripping it down to a private ceremony that you have with somebody you already love, okay so we'll just kind of talk about it, Th- and this is Paul's way, he's like here's the more excellent way for all of you in the church this is the more excellent way in your community inside the church it's almost like we have this idea that Jesus came to us and he's like hey which of you guys really wants to and you enjoy washing feet? Who, who, who's like, really? okay, this is your thing. This is your, your jam. Okay, here, that's awesome. It's awesome, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about, you wanna be the best foot washer that you can be, and you don't mind stickiness and smelly feet and hobbit feet and corns and fungus. Like, you really enjoy washing people's feet. Who's that? Any, any takers? Awesome, the rest of us are gonna come up here and let you wash our feet. Some of us have that idea, That somehow or another, Jesus set up this system, this church, this community, where he asks us, who enjoys laying their life down for each other, and everybody else gets to have you lay their lives down for them? And we're praying that God never lets me want to wash feet, because feet are gross. I don't think he said, hey, man, people, thanks for being my people. Thanks for getting your hair cut the way I've asked you to, and thanks for trimming your beards to look like my beard. Some of us are really into the beard thing. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for helping me pass out that fish and that bread to all those people and for casting out some demons. You guys are great. I'm gonna go die for you now, and I want you to uh, serve, and I want you to really love each other like that. I want you to die for one another. Who feels really good about that? Who really feels like, God's calling me to die for people, and you just think it's awesome. You just really want, you're all about it. No takers. Okay, great. Sign up in the back, and everybody else come up here, and we're gonna let those people die for us. Some of us have the idea that, that somehow or know that that's church. That that's the community that God called us to. Everybody else gets to wash feet. Everybody else gets to die. I get to sit and be served. What have we done to God's church in America? How does this happen? Have we made this a place where we provide you goods and services to consume? How have we internalized these values? That's probably the bigger thing. Don't point the finger at the the church, the organized church. You need to point your finger at yourself and look yourself in the mirror and go, how did I allow this to happen in my own heart that I've maybe driven churches to think that that's what I want? We have big answers, big questions that we've got to answer for, I think. I think it is so much bigger and monumentally important that 1 Corinthians 13 is not written to people that are getting married. It's intended for the church. Now just, I want you to, don't point Okay? But think about somebody in the room And you're like I would really rather not Wash their feet Don't look at them see right now everybody's trying To look straight ahead <laughs> Don't look at them okay I don't want to wash their feet and I, d- I definitely Don't want to die for them I do not want to serve them I don't even know them and they're creepy Right whatever Some of us Have this idea that somehow or another Within Christian community like we're Supposed our number one thing is supposed we're supposed To protect our privacy Somehow or another, it's, we're, I don't want to encroach on somebody else's privacy. I am not advocating that we become some kind of weird, ultra-conservative, bizarro group of people that are in, you know, there's some board telling you how to live your life all the time. Institutional, controlling. This is all about love. First Corinthians 13 is the, is, is the most excellent way. That's what he says, right? I will show you a more excellent way because, by the way, for 12 chapters, you've been doing it wrong. So let me show you how to do it right love each other. You can say that you love each other and you can give money and you can help kids in Uganda and you can do all this stuff, but if you don't love each other, you're just making noise. Let's love each other. This is the most excellent way is for those of us in community to love each other like this. I'm going to give everybody permission here. I really mean this. I think this is very freeing. This is, God, we ought to be practicing this in the church and giving each other this kind of freedom. Your self-worth And your institutional worth at TSF isn't based on your level of perfection or how perfect other people think you are. Do you feel a little freer? You are not valuable here because you are perfect or you're more perfect than somebody else. You're valuable here because you're a child of God and you're my brother and you're my sister and we're gonna walk with each other in community. Amen? Can we just give ourselves that freedom? I don't have to be perfect to be accepted here, right? And my value here isn't based on how good I am, how perfect I am. We're going to love, and we're going to love with a sloppy love. Love tends to be sloppy, and we do do sloppy love here really well, okay? Just get ready for it. We love, we're going to love with a sloppy love, an imperfect love, but we're going to do it in community here. This is the more excellent way. When Paul says that, he is not talking about your home and your marriage. I think there's an application there, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the church, the bride of Christ. This is the more excellent way that we would live in this kind of love for one another, to seek to serve and to give our lives for one another, and to wash gross, stinky feet, if that's what he asks us to do, with love. This is the most excellent way. God forbid, and I mean this, that we would create... And grow a church where people can show up and sing some songs, and give some money, and get a little spiritual snack, and attend a small group, but never grow up to feed other people and to serve other people. God forbid that our church would be that church. This is my expectation that we would grow up as your pastor, that we would mature, and we would be confident enough in our faith and our love for Jesus that we can then rise up, raise up other Christ followers, who can raise up other Christ followers. We're so confident in God's love for us that we can give ourselves away to people who don't look like us and they're going to go give themselves away to people who don't look like them. And we're going to do that in a tight, loving community with each other. Some of us have been really hurt before in churches, really let down. How do we hold on to this value of community and love and Christ's purpose for the church, for his bride When we have church wounds Some of us have church wounds Or you have church fatigue How do we do that? I'm just going to throw some things out that I think I want to say I've learned God's seared it into me through pain Here we go How do I do that? How do I love in that place? Accept that there's no perfect place There's no perfect church. There's no perfect group of people. Don't let your pain create an unrealistic ideal that gives you permission never to jump in. There is no perfect place. And let me just say this. The minute you showed up, you messed up the perfection anyway. All right? Can we just agree with that? It was good till I got there, (laughs) you know? (laughs) We cannot hold people to those kinds of expectations nor live in that kind of fantasy life for church. Security comes in Christ and in genuine love for others, not in life for broken people. Doesn't mean you have to go to broken, because there are churches out there that are awful, awful, awful. Don't have to go there and stay there. I get that. Two, we become like the thing that we set our eyes and our hearts on. Church reminds us to set our eyes and our love on Jesus and his bride and his kingdom you know in the Old Testament that God says that the church is the apple of God's eye how can I treat it any less than that even though it's hurt me and even though it's disappointed me and even though it's let me down how can I look at the community of God's people and go that's nothing less than the apple of God's eye that's his bride and I will live life with them We have to remember to set our eyes on what Jesus has set his eyes on with the church third thing We get better at what we practice If you're bitter And sad and angry and alone because church has hurt you and you practice that you know what you're going to be Bitter sad angry and alone and you'll get really good at it I know professional bitter people about church Like it's a job to practice for them to go and bang on every church Because a church or some churches have hurt them in the past and they become really good at being angry about church. Now, if you practice being a part of a church that loves and is commu- has community together, you'll get really good at that too. This church becomes, and everybody needs to understand this, we become what you drive us to become. This church, any church, ultimately becomes what the people are becoming. So if you practice loving each other and living in community like this, That's what you'll become and that's what we'll become You become like what you Practice together forgiving correcting Correctable optimistic If we practice that together we'll become That together Fourth thing you have to risk Risk is required To live and grow together If we don't live with faulty People we can never love the way That Jesus did Ever thought about that that Jesus came to this Broken world me my heart your heart And he loves us and if I don't live with people that are broken and faulty, I don't ever love the way Jesus loved. If all I do is find people that look like me, sound like me, talk like me, believe like me, think like me, opinionate like me, I'm just loving people that look like me. I don't love the way Jesus loved. That ensures if I do that, that I will never gain joy, courage, sorrow, victories and fullness of life with people. That's life, guys life requires risk and stepping out and doing things that are hard with people that are broken fifth thing we need support and examples what does it look like to love a rebellious child what does it look like to pray for miracles how do you love your spouse when neither one of you are changing we need support and examples and that comes in community not on my own I need people in my life who have walked that path who can show me what those things look like. Last thing, we need reminders to look forward. Look forward. You are changing. God's not done. There's hope for tomorrow. God will finish this good work. We need to be practically optimistic. I love this. We need to be practically optimistic and love the options that I do have. Some of us are so mad about the things that I don't have there's still options in your life. There are. There's still things that God has laid out in front of you. I need to be happy about the things that God has placed in my life and the choices that I can make to follow Him in obedience and love with other people. Pray and walk forward together. That takes wisdom and patience. Sometimes you need to go sit with each other. Not everybody needs you to be all bubbly all the time. But man, one of the greatest things I've ever received from a church or the church over 28 years of being in ministry is that somebody inside every church we've ever been in is drawn alongside of us and go, man, let me encourage you. Let me pray for you. Let me walk with you. Let me tell you this isn't the end. Let me tell you God's got good things for you. So if you've been hurt and you carry around church wounds and you're like, gosh, Pastor Joe, this idea of community sounds great, but I've been hurt too much. I want to remind you that you need to accept there's no perfect place. You're going to become like what you set your heart on. You're going to get better at what you practice. Risk is required to love. You need support and examples, and you need somebody to remind you to look ahead. We get that in community. We get that in these loving relationships. We have a very practical thing. Jimmy, come on up here. I asked Jimmy to come up and help me with something. I want to do two things as we end our time today. Packer, J.I. Packer said this, we can't think of our fellowship with other Christians as as a spiritual luxury An optional addition to the exercise of private devotions. Fellowship is one of the great words of the New Testament. It denotes something that is vital to a Christian's spiritual health and central to the church's true life. The church will flourish and Christians will be strong only when there is fellowship. That's the kind of church that we want this place to be. So we go back to the beginning, Brene Brown. You're either going to move toward community, away from community, or you're going to actively fight against Community we've given you More ways Than I can think of here To move towards community it's one of our Core values here we have our Life groups you can find all of them online Some of you aren't even a member or part of what we do here we have covenant membership Couple weeks our thrive ministry with our Ladies uh, team we have Our better than ministry something we're starting In our students um, that we hope uh, Goes even further than that Um, The other thing I want to point out is this prayer wall Over here that's going to go away there's 20, 20 prayer requests still on that wall. Part of our invitation today is somebody get up here. These are your brothers and sisters. They need you to pray for them. Can we just take these prayer requests before we get out of here today and commit to pray for each other? I've got one in the back of my Bible. Pray for it all the time. It's all you gotta do. Take one with you today. It's one way we can have community. So we've given you these many, many ways to walk toward community. Walk toward it. Be proactive. Seek it, commit yourself to it. We've given you lots and lots of ways to do it. So here's what I'm going to do Jimmy's going to play. And uh, what was the song we. we cross has the final word. I want to do two things. And the, the cross has the final word really came up while we were singing. I want to start. Uh, I'm going to end with that. So let's do this first, okay? Practical application. We're going to call the beginning of this. This is our texting music, our prayer music, our response music get up and go music, whatever you want to talk about right now. Here are my questions from you for for each of you. How many of you have three contacts in your phone of people who are in this, they're part of the Sanctuary Fellowship. Don't raise your hand. You have three contacts from people in the Sanctuary Fellowship. Okay? If you don't, that's a sign. You need community. You need this community. We need you. So three contacts from people at Sanctuary Fellowship. Now let me further reduce that. How many have three contacts from TSF that you can trust? So you're actually walking with them to some degree. You're in relationship with them to some degree. How many have three contacts from TSF that you love? You love them. You would probably give significant things from your life them you love them how many have three contacts from tsf that you are actively serving you're pouring into them you're not sitting around going wash my feet die and serve me you're washing their feet you're dying for them and serving them see it gets so practical so quickly sounds so good when i say it all but when you start thinking about your life some of you are like yeah man god's blessed me here with community and i have all those things pastor joe Most of us probably don't. Most of us, even though we sit in this room and we applaud community, we're still very isolated. And we're still ultimately, at the end of the day, kind of cut off from each other. So here's what I want you to do. If we could just start this at the beginning. I'm gonna literally give us two or three minutes here. And I want you to stop, and, and if you have someone in your life, somebody here from the sanctuary that God's given you, and they love you well, they serve you well, they're, they're meeting your needs That's awesome Send them a text right now Like literally get out your phones Shoot them a text Right now If there's someone At the Sanctuary Fellowship Who you think I think I need to step into their life I think I'm supposed to be serving them I know a little bit about their story I've seen a little bit of their struggle I think I need to step into their world And you've got their contact information Reach out right now I'm doing what Pastor Joe said Is there some time we can meet for coffee Can I get together with you I think think I'm supposed to get to know you a little bit better Right now this is not hypothetical Start to reach out to each other How can you do this Who can you do this with Some of us just need to pray God I have fought against community To be honest I thought my pain was too big I thought they were too weird (laughs) And I've fought against it And God, I want to walk toward community from now on. I want to run into it. I want to rush to it. I need these people in my life. And I want to give myself away. Do that. Maybe 20 or 30 more seconds. We talked earlier, we sang this song earlier, and I think this is another really practical way for us to do this. The cross has the final word. And I actually love that whole idea <laughs> that the cross of Christ has the final word the, 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 the work of Jesus what he's done and who he's made us is the last opinion every, anybody ever has about my life that matters whatever I find in my life that seems insurmountable and seems impossible Jesus has the final word about that can we just agree? that's a great proclamation a great way to remind our souls there is nothing in my life that feels like an end that Jesus doesn't get to say, no, that's just the start of something else. That's just the door that you're going to. And I, guys, listen, I'm here, I'm like, even death, Jesus has the final word, right? Amen. He has a final word on death, the death of marriages, right? Sickness, the death of financial issues, children, whatever it is, barrenness, your body, whatever it is, Jesus has the final word. Can, can we say amen, anybody? Now, Here's what I want you to do. We're going to reverse this. Instead of saying, who needs to pray that? I need you to be the final word in my life. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Jimmy, if you just sing even the chorus. It doesn't really matter. Just get us to that part. cross says the final word. So he sings that. If you would say, God has had the final word in some way in my life. Something that I thought was done over, like the death of something Jesus has stepped in and said, no, I've got something else to say about that. And you would you would want to stand up right now and testify to other people. I am walking proof that Jesus has the final word. Can you just stand up? Jimmy, go ahead and sing that. If you would just stand up and you say, my life, something in me is a testimony. Circumstances don't have the final word. Health doesn't have the final word. Finances don't have the final word. Disaster or tragedy doesn't have the final word. Jesus has the final word. Not everybody needs to stand, but some of us do. Hmm. Hmm. Here we go. to remain where you are, but if you're standing, sing it. Can we sing it one more time? Somebody sitting down needs to hear you say that. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. listen, we're doing community right now because you are saying as you have stood up, I am ready for somebody to come to talk to me. Now listen, I would like you to kind of look around the room and see who's sitting and just say, Holy Spirit, do I need to go say something to somebody? Because somebody who's sitting down is in a really dark place. Not everybody, but there are some and life is hard and they think this is it. And in this community, we want to love each other well. Amen? So it takes a little bit of courage takes a little bit of laying our lives down for each other. We want to step out and go to someone and say, man, listen, I got a word from you. This isn't it. God's got something to say. Amen? And in this community, we're going to love each other like that. Can we do that? Holy Spirit, we stand right now and we say, first of all, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you times 10,000. That you have the final word of everything in our lives. And in this community, God, where we want to love each other, we want to give ourselves away, And we want to support each other in the mission you've given us. Right now, we want to say, We are your tools. Use us. If we're standing, use us how you want to. Who do I need to go talk to? Who needs to hear from me? And listen, man, I want to tell you guys if you're here, there may be one spouse standing up and another spouse not standing up. They don't need to hear from their spouse anymore, (laughs) they need to hear a different voice. They need to hear from you. God, who do you want me to speak to today? Holy Spirit. Direct my thoughts, my hearts, my lives. If I've got their number, I'm gonna text them, I commit to you, I'm gonna call them, I'm gonna text them, I'm gonna sit with them, and I'm gonna tell them the cross has the final word. Don't think this is over. Jesus has the final word. Thank you, God, for this community where we can love each other like this, so practically, so real. Fill our phones up, fill our contacts up with people who love us and that we're serving and we're loving them. For the glory of Jesus to a lost world. And we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for just indulging me there, and Jimmy for playing that. We're going to go ahead and have a seat. We're going to end today, and we are going to.